Welcome to episode 141 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. Um, This week, my resource on repeat, because we love a great alliteration on telepractice today, (laughs) (laughs) has been um, a couple of YouTube videos that I want to share. So I have a set that I've been using for my younger kids that are the Bernard Bear videos, um, which is just a bear that they're kind of remind me of the like uh, goofy shorts that Mm -hmm. they used to have where he's just like completely inept kind of Mm -hmm. can't figure out how to do anything so there's lots of you know falling and fumbling and things like that so i find it's really good just to give some kids something different to work on like past Mm -hmm. tense verbs or sequencing and all of them are kind of pretty much wordless videos he makes little grunts and things like that but there's not really a narration or anyone talking so i find those are really helpful too for having kids come up with their own words instead of it having words in it. So that's what I've been using with my younger kids. And then with my older kids, I've been using um, some of the Ellen videos where it's their uh, epic or fail game that they would play. So which you really could do with any video, but it's kind of nice when they have it set up. So there's, you know, part of the video happens and then it pauses and then you have to decide if it's going to be epic or fail. So it's like someone going up a skating ramp and you have to decide that. Uh, So I've used that to present, um, introduce uh, making predictions and inferences with my students. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. just think like doing it in videos is so non-confrontational and like this is something that I can be good at for them instead of like putting something that's a reading text in front of them where they're automatically like, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at reading. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at comprehension. But when you can present those in a video and you're like, those same skills that you used to decide whether it was going to be epic or fail, you can use in reading too. So I really like those to kind of introduce that. So those are my two YouTube video kind of series that I've been using this week. Oh, those are great. I'm going to, I have I have an older uh, client, patient that I'm working with who is, um, we think, older. He's like 11 but uh, we're working on some inferencing kinds of things, and he's you know, doing some language work. So that would be great to use the videos, mm-hmm. the the uh, Ellen videos to do that. That'd be a, a different sort of twist to it. Yeah. So that's cool. I, for, I totally forgot about that. They've been a, a pretty good hit. A couple yeah. kids were not into it, but <laughs> they just don't like, I don't know, me in general. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what you those, do, those, those, you don't middle, like it. those middle schoolers are rough. I'm like, I'm good with they high are. schoolers. I've kind of figured out high schoolers. Mm-hmm. I've kind of figured out the little ones, the middle schoolers. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too many hormones going yes, back and forth. Yes. So they, they don't know whether or not, you know, they want to play with as they want to know if, it, if they want to play with toys or try to be older. You know what right. I'm saying? They're kind right. of caught it's in the middle. weird in between. Yeah. You know, trying to figure out who they are and then the hormones are going crazy and yep. it's just a mess. Which is so hard, too. And then it's hard, too, when they already have that feeling of, like, I'm in between. I want to be older, but I'm not. And then if they have <laughs> some... 
some struggles with like comprehension mm-hmm. and things like that. So then I'm like, okay, I want to be age appropriate. I want mm-hmm. to read you things that like you are interested in, but you don't have the skills to do that. Right. So it's a struggle. And I think sometimes when you can use, you know, something that's not, doesn't look like the other things that are hard for them, doesn't look like school to them right. can right. help. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They're a tough group. They're a tough yep. group. Well, on the podcast today, we have Rose Griffin, who has a her own company. Uh, it's ABA Speech by Rose, and she is doing some great work working with um, children. I, we didn't talk about adults, but I think children mostly that are on the autism spectrum and neurodiverse. And so she has lots of uh, good ideas and and how we can incorporate um, some some of those ideas into telepractice and working with those patients. So I'm looking forward to hearing from Rose. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, We at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Well, Rose, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background? Absolutely. I am a speech therapist and a board certified behavior analyst. And I became a speech therapist a little over 20 years ago now. So I Mm -hmm. call myself a seasoned therapist. That's (laughs) what I'm saying. And I've been duly certified as a BCBA as well about 11 years. And my whole career, I split my time between a public school and then private schools for autistic learners. Started to fall in love with teletherapy uh, when. COVID came because I was kind of forced into it and it was dipping a toe in it, but I really enjoyed it so much. And so I've been involved in that since 2020 on some level. And now I have my own company, ABA Speech. Really love it. And I started it about five years ago and uh, left my school gig after 20 years in the schools in May. Wow. And I never thought I would do that. It still blows my mind. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm hashtag living my best life. And I'm excited <laughs> to talk with you guys today. Well, we, we always like to sort of discover how you or our guests discovered speech language pathology. So how did how did that happen? Back in the day. Yeah, actually, I had my mom. My parents are both retired educators, and my mom was teaching a course. She was a high school teacher about careers. And I (laughs) was a senior in high school, did not exactly know what I wanted to do. And she gave me a career test. And one of the Mm. careers was speech therapist. And I didn't know what that was because (laughs) I didn't know anybody that got speech. I, none of my siblings did. And we had a family friend who was older than me, maybe by 10 years or so. And she allowed me to shadow her at work right before I started college, actually. And I thought to myself, wow, this is the most amazing profession. I got to see home health with older people. And I went to a school and a nursing home. And I thought, 
this is just great because I love people. I love being around people. And my sister is an accountant and I love my sister. I also <laughs> shadowed my sister and I was like watching the clock. Tick, tick. <laughs> and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, now with my own business, there are days where today, you know, my company is an ASHA approved CE provider. So today I'm mm-hmm. working on a talk, but I love that mm-hmm. because I'm thinking about the energy that I'll get when I give that talk to hundreds of speech therapists and B2BAs. So I do like to sit in a room quiet and work on stuff, but I couldn't have done that from the get-go. And uh, I just, I declared my major from the start and never looked back and have really loved being a speech therapist all these years. Awesome. And how did the BCBA, how did that come into it too? Absolutely. So my second, my first year as a speech therapist, the school district that I worked in said that they had made a major money error, the treasurer did. And so I knew that my position was going to be rift is what the language is here in Ohio as a union state. And so they allowed me to and encouraged me to go on job interviews that first year. And so I interviewed at the learner school now it's called, which is part of the Cleveland Clinic. And it Mm -hmm. is a school for autistic learners for the most part. And usually it's students who have behavioral barriers that are unsafe or a barrier to their learning. And this specialized program is their least restrictive environment. And so I was working with students who, you know, were 18, 12, had no way to communicate besides using unsafe problem behavior to navigate their world. Mm -hmm. And that's where I learned about applied behavior analysis. And I'll never forget working with a student who was 18, had been in speech therapy since he was three, still had no way to communicate. And his world was very small. He couldn't go to the community. He really couldn't do a whole lot of things because he had very unsafe problem behavior. And for the first time, he was able to use a static device And Mm -hmm. it was a text speak that's back in the day. And he was Mm -hmm. able to request music and to go outside. And I thought to myself, wow, this is amazing. This is a powerful science. And so I've always been really driven to helping students who traditionally, quote unquote, are hard to help. And so right then I just knew that I wanted to go places and I wanted to tell people about the science of ABA. And so that led me on my journey. I didn't get my BCBA and do my coursework until I lived in Austin for three years. And I was just in this really cool position, autism facilitator, where it was a 35 school district. The districts are so big down there. And I would talk with all the speech therapists once a month. I would do a, a training, which was fun for me. And then the rest of the month, I would go out and visit them on campus. And so I did all my coursework And it was so hard. It was just really hard. I had to go back to school. I had to take classes. You have to do all these supervision hours with a mentor BCBA. And then there's another test, just like our tests we have to take for speech therapy. You have to take Mm -hmm. another certification test. And so glad I'm done with all that. And that that was 11 years ago. So yeah, so I, I love being duly certified. There is such a big rift between speech therapists and BCBAs, depending on where you right. work and where you're located. But I love being that bridge and uh, it can be intense to be duly certified and have an online business, but I feel like I'm tasked with this and I'm doing it for a reason. So I really love it. Yeah. And I feel like you you brought it up. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to tackle it because you brought it up. The rift between SLPs and BCBAs. Um, what do you think is the reason for it? What do you think is the cause for it? And and what's kind of your antidote like of why we still need to look at, the, at ABA and make it a part of our practice? What would be your pitch for that? Absolutely. I would say that there is a rift because traditionally – 
what may happen is, let's say I'm a school-based speech therapist and I've got a kid on my caseload and they're in third grade and they still have no way to communicate. They're not using pictures. They're not using AAC. They're engaging in unsafe problem behavior and everyone's really overwhelmed and stressed. So at that point, an outside consultant gets called in to help the team. And then the BCBA comes in and they want to know they're there to help. And they were there to help the client who's really the student in the district at the time. And they want to know, well, what does speech look like? And what does the classroom look like? And so they're gathering all this information and they might have feedback. And I feel like it's just sometimes it's not getting out on the right foot. Sometimes we can't start collaborative relationships like, hey, my name's Rose and I like to do this and you like to do that because we're in this intense situation where sometimes there's advocates and lawyers and then you maybe feel like defensive. Well, I don't want that person watching me do therapy. Why are they watching me do therapy? This is just one scenario, but it's one that I think happens a lot. And then, you know, the idea of encroachment where why does ABA get 40 hours? And, you know, that's really an antiquated, you know, model of 40 hours and things like that. But as a small business owner, I understand that. Like, why, why is that the case? So it's hard because with insurance covering it, it's not going away. It's not going to be good. If anything, if something happens to you when you're a speech therapist and you legitimately want to know why something happened or how you can advocate for what you're doing, message me on Instagram. (laughs) Come to my website, (laughs) abuspeech.org. Because actually today I was thinking about creating a new course. I'm an ASHA provider, uh, creating a new course about advocating for yourself as a speech language pathologist. And that means advocating Mm -hmm. for yourself when you're in meetings with advocates and lawyers and your administration and teachers. And it also means with BCBA professionals. Is it easier for me to advocate when I'm working with the BCBA? Absolutely. Have I gotten into disagreements with BCBAs about AAC and other things? I sure have. But it's easier for me to advocate for what I'm doing because I don't want to say I'm overly confident, but I'm I'm a speech therapist at a BCBA. So there's less than 500 of us in the entire world. And so I can talk to speech therapists and I can also talk to BCBAs. But I get in disagreements with both sides. So, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's a professional dialogue. So if you really though have a question about something that's happened, like somebody just emailed me today from my email list and had a question about something that had to do with the BCBA, I'm more than happy to have those conversations because they're going to come up and we know we can't have group think. We're not going to think the same way about stuff. You know, we're just not, but it doesn't mean that there's not a place for us to collaborate and yeah. be be together. But there's some BCBAs that are just mean. And there's some speech therapists that are just very anti-ABA and trying to shut it down. And, yeah. you know, newsflash, it's not going away. So we just have to find a way to, to work, work together. together. Yep. Yep. And I think that sometimes as speech language pathologists, we have like a certain idea in our heads about what ABA is. And that's not always correct. Or it's not how everybody does ABA. Because, you know, I just like to, you know, when I think of like discrete trials and reinforcement with food and things like that, that were kind of like when I was going through school, which I'm not 20 years out, but I'm getting there. (laughs) When I was going to school, that's what it looked like. And I think that that has even evolved in the past 10 years and things like that. So I think, I I think being open and like having it have a place and not being stuck in like, this is what I think ABA is. So I'm against ABA. (laughs) 
Right. Absolutely. And those things are very antiquated, the, yeah. what you're saying. I'm not saying discrete trial doesn't have a place for somebody to learn something, but mm-hmm. some of those practices are antiquated. And it's a science as we have more research and we're listening to autistic voices and becoming more holistic and natural environment teaching. And I could go on and on, but all those people, and I really, honestly, I don't get a lot of anti-ABA things that people say anymore. Um, that happens sometimes, but I think if you look at what I'm sharing and the information that I'm disseminating, I don't know how anybody could say um, anything about what I'm sharing. But if people have legitimate feedback, I'm always open to listening to it. And I've had people on my podcast, I have a podcast called Autism Outreach, but I've had people on that, you know, we always have autistic adults on. I've had people on who they're more into floor time. They're not into ABA, but we find Mm -hmm. a common ground and we talk about Mm -hmm. how we can work together because having group think is, is scary. And really ethically, because I'm a nerd, I teach like a class on ethics for BCBAs. They have to take a three hour, three semester class. I teach it for Kent State um, here in Ohio. And speech therapists were ethically called to collaborate in both ethical codes. So when I see people mm-hmm. on social media saying, well, I'm going to put something on my private practice page that says I'm not taking any clients that get ABA. I really want to message that person. I'm not there yet. I want to message that person and say, <laughs> that's technically an ethical violation. But yeah. that's mm-hmm. just how I feel because I'm I'm knee deep in the ethical codes for both uh, professions. Sure. Well, this is this is your PSA for that. Mm-hmm. Then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But seriously, reach out. We can yeah. we can talk. I have a little tab. You can sign up for a fifteen minute free call. We'll we'll chat about it. You mentioned um, having adults uh, who are on the spectrum. What is your point of view in terms of the the sort of current um, direction that we're we're going into in terms of neurodiversity and recognizing adults um, as being neuro diverse rather than some embrace a label of autism, some may not. Mm-hmm. And how does how would you say ABA fits into that mindset? Absolutely. I actually just had a great podcast. I cannot remember the number. It was probably 102 with Carly Jalowick. And she is an autistic adult that lives here in Ohio um, and works for, mm-hmm. you probably know, the organization Milestones. So yeah. mm-hmm. she wasn't diagnosed until she was 30. And so, in, you know, and there's mm-hmm. this whole thing with autism in girls, right? When I pre- used to present 10 years ago, I used to say, and autism is four to one boys. Well, you know, I am listening to autistic adults mm-hmm. and colleagues, and I don't even, I don't touch that stat anymore. I just, I don't include it in my presentations because I'm just not sure it's truthful. And so, um, you know, she, she really, we talked, had a really good talk about not exactly ABA, but we talked about masking and we talked about social skills training and, and just because we know speech therapists, social skills, we talk about that a lot and we support that area. And I think if we can just be really cognizant of why are we working on this, where it gets hard. I mean, with somebody who is, verbal and you're able to converse with, you can tell them, like I used to tell my middle school and high school kids, think of me as your social coach. I am here to support you. If you get into a situation on the bus or at gym, because that's where that tends to happen for middle school kids, I'm here to help you. Um, It's harder when our kids are not yet speaking and where we have to take those cues and where we have to, especially as school-based therapists, take the parent's into consideration as well. I was just on a podcast yesterday. I think it was my own. And we Mm -hmm. were talking about a parent who really was pushing for this conversation goal for a student. And 
I'm really progressive. You know, I listen to autistic voices. I have a lot of autistic people on the podcast and I really, in my heart, I did not want to work on that goal. But what's hard about being right. a school-based therapist is you can't just say, I'm not doing that. I don't yeah. think this is in the best interest of the client because you're not, it's not your private practice. This is an IEP team and those parents are important at the table. So yeah. that's a whole other show, but um, <laughs> that's one of the cons of working in a school, but I do like yeah. to listen to parents and it's important to hear them. So, you know, okay. autism is not an illness. You know, I really believe that. And I think it's yeah. as easy as us starting to to reframe the things we used to say. Like we went to school and it was red flags for autism. Yep. So I make a lot of like TikToks and Instagram reels about how we shouldn't be saying that anymore. And I think mm -hmm. that seems like something simple or saying autistic student. I mean, I've been doing that for two years when people said that's what they wanted us to say. But there's mm -hmm. some people who are still using people first language and there's still some people who are saying red flags. And I think once you start to listen to autistic voices and you make these small shifts and changes in how you're saying things and what your mindset is in therapy, I think that it's going to make our therapy and our support so much better. Yeah, that's what I, it's so funny that you talked about listening to autistic voices because I had a student tell me today, he's like, do we have to work on conversations? I don't like talking to people. And I was <laughs> like, that's a good point. I was like, but do you not like talking to people because you don't feel like you're good at it or because right. you really don't like talking to people? I was like, so my job is to make you feel like you have the skills. So if you want to talk to people, you can, but you don't have to. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then we worked on and then we worked on how we would handle group situations because mm -hmm. there are instances always that you are going to have to interact with people. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know how I would frame that too? Because if you're working with older students, when I was in middle school, high school, which I did for 10 years, I would always try to frame it of, this is a vocational opportunity. I, you know, I would yeah. talk about small talk. Do I care what Sally did over the weekend? I really don't. But am I going to ask? I am because yeah. I'm at work and at work, we do things that we don't necessarily love yeah. and enjoy. We do them because they're expected. And I would never want one of my clients to not have a job opportunity. And obviously on the other side of the coin, you're going to talk with the, the job and the business. If that person is autistic and open about sharing that, about autism and how that may manifest in some of these very nuanced right. things for our for our learners. So it's two sides of the coin, but I would always try to frame it that way and talk about small talk and how that's important in work. I like that. I like and so that. let's let's talk about telepractice and yeah. and and share your wealth of information about how to best work with uh, patients, clients who are on the spectrum or um, who are neurodiverse, how, what strategies have you learned or can you recommend uh, to, to really meet their needs? Absolutely. So the autistic learners that I'm serving are in, I'm licensed in Washington State and Oregon as well. So they're usually um, very far away from me. <laughs> oh, and always in a different time zone. So I would say, mm -hmm. make sure you have your time zones correct. Um, yep. And the students that I'm working with are very young. So usually they have a one-on-one -on -one technician with them. And they're usually in a clinical setting. And so that's how I'm providing support. And so I think one of the most important things to do is really build rapport with the student, obviously, but with the technician as well. Mm 
because there are definitely two types of learners that I see. One is where I am talking with the student, just like I'm talking with you. And the other is where I'm providing more coaching for the technician. So I think when it's more of a coaching model, I need to be very explicit about what the speech and language goals are, how we're targeting those. And then one of the things that's been super helpful for me is at the end of session, let's say session one, I take a couple minutes at the end to talk about what materials will be needed for the next session. And I circle that on my data sheet. So I remember because I am seeing quite a few students. And so that really helps frame it too, because it may sound so simplistic, but if you don't have the right things from the get-go, our students are little, it's hard for them. They're having trouble with engagement. We have to have all of our materials ready to go. And I just try to be really mindful of that. I think that's a great point. That's definitely been helpful. The other thing I think that's so important, I talk about joint attention a lot. I've been doing a lot Mm -hmm. of training and dissemination of information on that. You know, if I'm doing a book with a student, I think with teletherapy, there's so many, and people that do teletherapy full-time, which I absolutely do not, um, they have so many online materials that they can use. But something that I think is so important for younger learners especially, is if we're reading a book, is to use our own voice. I think there's Mm -hmm. something so very powerful about that. And or if you're doing a song. And I am not the greatest singer. I was never kind of that kind of therapist until I had my own kids. I have three of my own children. And and now I have an online business. So it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I make TikToks and I don't care what anybody thinks about me on the internet. You know, like (laughs) I'm here to help autistic kids. And if you think I'm funny, that's great. But I'm just out there, right? So I always say my level of enthusiasm may not be your level of enthusiasm and that's okay. But I think we just need to be energetic. We need to use our own voice. And I think that's really, really important when we're trying like to reach too. our students. I think that's key. Um, and I think another thing that I feel like is a misconception that people have is that kids need to be able to t- pay attention to a screen to benefit from teletherapy. And I think that you touched on that with the coaching technique, but what would you say to that or that kids who are nonverbal autistic can't benefit from teletherapy? No, I would say that's wrong thinking because it really is about the relationship that you're building with the support person that's there as Mm -hmm. well. And so what's powerful about that, and what I'd always say as a speech therapist is that The most important thing I'm doing as a speech therapist is not the therapy. That is just scratching the surface. The most important thing I'm doing is building rapport in our case with the, with the technician and or anybody else that is in that kid's orbit on the team. And I am providing modeling and support because what's so powerful about that is that I am modeling maybe how to read Pete the cat. And how to use it for joint attention and what that even means. And that technician is working with that one student now, but over the course of their career, whether they Mm -hmm. stay in a technician position, maybe they're doing something different, they're going to come in contact with so many different learners that you've helped model what this really powerful communication strategy is for that student. 
So I think we have to look at it from a really holistic standpoint. And it's really about that coaching and that feedback. That's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would point out too, that there's a difference. You mentioned modeling and coaching, and those are not the mm-hmm. same thing. And I think everyone <laughs> thinks that they're the same mm-hmm. thing because, and you talked about like having that relationship. There are aids that I have seen that I can model and they get it. There are aids that I have seen that I could model all day and they would have no idea what I was doing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And right. you have to do that coaching piece too, where you're like, okay, now I need you to prompt. Now I don't need you to prompt. Right. Yes. And you know, there's this idea in the uh, field of ABA, it's called behavioral skills training, but it's really, it's a four-pronged approach on how you learn a new skill. And it's really what I do with any adult learner or anybody really. It's like, I tell you what the skill is. I model the skill, mm-hmm. you practice the skill. And this is what we have hard times as adults giving feedback to adults. I mean, I don't anymore, but as a 23-year-old speech therapist, I did. It's giving feedback on how you did with the skill. I think sometimes mm-hmm. as an adult, you feel like, oh, I don't want to give that feedback to that technician or that parapro because I'm nervous. Who am I to say how to do that? But I try to frame it of, I'm helping this person grow. I'm not just building my client's capacity on helping them find their voice. I'm building this person's capacity on how they're going to support autistic learners over the course of their career. And Mm -hmm. I really take that very seriously. And I think if we just think about that feedback loop, it's very important to give that feedback. It it doesn't have to be mean, you know, it doesn't have to be a critical conversation. I mean, unless it does, right? Because I'm sure you Mm -hmm. might've been in some of those situations too, but we really are here to help the student and you're really helping the technician is important. And that coaching piece is really vital. It's a, it's all about adult learning, right? And making sure they understand the process and understand what you're trying to get across. Absolutely. Something else that I want you to talk about is your action builder cards. Oh, yes. My action builder cards. (laughs) So (laughs) explain what those are and how we can use them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's the reason I started my whole entire business is I had this idea for this product. I was working at a place, actually, you may have heard it too. It's called KidsLink. It's here Mm -hmm. in Streetsboro. And so one of my best friends owns that. And so I was working there and I was working with kids and there's something called multiple exemplar training. And the idea is if we're working on labeling, we don't want to show a child just one picture of an item. We want to show many so that they're generalizing those skills. And this is so important for all students, but especially for autistic learners. And so I was actually, you talked about parapros. I remember at my school district, I was saying, okay, I was doing a training one time. It was about how to use Google images to make pictures so that if a student did have a labeling target, that we were not just labeling one picture that we found in the picture box. And so I was like, huh, this is funny. And and there were no other products out there like that. So what the action builder cards do is that there's 13 actions represented and there's multiple pictures of each action. And they're high frequency actions like eating and playing and washing. And they're very durable, which is great. And there's real life pictures. And then on the back, there's guiding text as well with the, the action, action object, the complete sentence. And so I use them for all different types of things. Um, but expressive labeling, and receptive um, is really such a a great skill. And so thank you for asking about them. But when (laughs) I created them, then I was like, oh my goodness. Then I had a distributor that was going to sell them. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I need a website. And then I Mm -hmm. then on the road, I was like, I need a blog. And 
now I have a podcast. So it just, this is how the ball kind of got rolling. And that's the reason I started my whole business is because of that idea. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I shut, you have a short video uh, of you explaining what they are on your website. And it was very well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Rose, I think I know you have to leave quickly in a little bit, uh, but I think it's uh, time for the most important part of our interview, and that is our moment of Zen. Are you ready? Ready. <laughs> so we have three different lists that we ask uh, questions. Uh, on Each list has 10 questions, and so okay. uh, list A, B, and C, and you can choose which list you'd like us to ask list a list b or list c oh goodness uh let's go list c mm. list c hmm okay okay question number one and this is just to get to know you even better and you can answer in any way you feel that you'd like to answer and okay. there's no rules basically okay so first question is, where did you grow up and how did that affect who you became? I grew up in Akron, Ohio, home of Goodyear, go, go Goodyear, and now LeBron James. Mm -hmm. And I think I just had a really great upbringing. It was absolutely amazing. My parents are both teachers and educators, and we had a really close-knit neighborhood. And I think that it just um, made me realize that hard work is important. My parents really modeled that. And I really just had a great childhood there in Akron, Ohio. Good. And also home of University of Akron. But uh, True. Just <laughs> my undergrad, uh, go Zips. Go Zips. Go Zips. That's, that's got, right. That's where I got my undergrad. <laughs> number two, question number two, if money wasn't a factor, what would you do with your time? I'm doing it. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm living my like dream. You're doing it. Yes, thank you. I did build my business up. Once COVID hit, my business kind of, it got kind of skyrocketed there. Um, and I was able to do that. But I'd be doing the same exact thing. I really love what I'm doing. And I, I enjoy it. I enjoy every day that, I, that I'm working. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, next question is, what was the last thing you searched for on Google? Ooh, the last thing that I search for on Google, probably workout clothes. I do have more free time. So I've been doing Pilates and I'm very oh, obsessed. Nice. I don't have to buy dress clothes, you know, so I buy a lot of workout clothes these days. It, it is a benefit <laughs> of working from home. <laughs> that, that is true. Very nice. I, I had to buy real clothes to go to Asha. <laughs> oh. It was uh -oh. terrible. It sounds <laughs> terrible. It sounds horrible. Um, next question is, uh, what do people misunderstand most about you? Oh, goodness. Well, I think the whole BCBA piece. I make a mm. lot of TikToks and Instagram reels about that. So I think that people either really love me, they think I'm super smart, or they hate me because I'm a BCBA. <laughs> so it's pretty, it's pretty either or. Gotcha. Uh, next question. What is a common myth about your job or industry? Ooh, you I think such a good list for today. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, I actually, I think one is that people that are not in education or speech therapy think that it's a very mommy friendly job, like a very family friendly job for a woman. Mm -hmm. 
But if you have kids working every single day mm-hmm. outside of your house is extremely exhausting and can burn you out very quickly. So Amen. I don't really think it's exactly <laughs> family friendly. So, yep. yeah. Yep. Very true. Very true. Uh, next question is, what challenge in life shaped you the most? Ooh, well, you know, when I, when I, uh, that's, that's a tough one. What challenge shaped me the most? Actually, you know, when I was going to college, I actually was really kind of, everybody in my family went to Akron U, and I kind of had this vision that I wanted to go away. Mm-hmm. And I never, I didn't know how that all worked because everybody in family went to Akron U, which was completely fine. But when mm-hmm. I got to Akron U, and I had a great experience there, and I love Akron U, I was going to just rock my studies. And I graduated summa cum laude, and uh, I just did my best there. And I thought there was some better way to go away to school, but I really just had a great experience. But I was like, I'm here. I'm going to do this thing. That's kind of my personality. When I go all in on something, I go all in on something. So um, so that kind of shaped my personality. I really just was eager to be the best student that I could be there. And you went away 20 miles down the road to Kent State. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hey now. And I have my education specialist degree from Cleveland State. You're you're hurting my heart. (sighs) You Goodness know, gracious. Nor- Northeast Ohio, here we go. Uh, <laughs> she didn't say BYU, though, so she's still good with me. <laughs> That's good. Uh, uh, next question is, when are you most productive? Ooh, okay. I would say I'm most productive between my hours of genius are probably 11 to 3. Mm, that's yeah. about my nap time, 11 to 3. Yes, no. <laughs> I'm ready to work. Um, next question is what is your favorite comfort food? Ooh, I would definitely say ice cream. I love mm. ice cream. That is a treat. We had this thing where my family, we were going to Dairy Queen like every Sunday and I was getting a blizzard. Ooh, That was nice. Those, those you know, are Sunday those series. Are yes. So ice cream for sure. Awesome. Do you have a life mo- motto or a a quote or saying that you like to think about or live by? Um, let's see. I like this one. Actually, I had Chris Winger on my podcast. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know him, his speech dude. He's really, I love mm-hmm. him because he's just really a bright spot in the field. And, sure. um, and he is uh, funny. And, but he said, the way that you now this isn't his quote, but he just brought it up. But you know, he's mm-hmm. from California. I think people from California are just more Zen or something than people from Ohio. Mm-hmm. That's just my take on life. <laughs> but he said, the way that you do everything is the way that you do anything or something like that. And I think mm-hmm. that it, it got me thinking. And I was like, gosh, I really love that because when I was working in a school and working in my business, I was just flying by the seat of my pants, like trying to get everything done, see all the clients, do all the ASHA courses, do this, do the speaking. And now I can really focus and have this singular focus. And I really like that. It's like, how are you taking care of that? Is that how you do everything in your life? And so I think it's just like kind of gave me, I had never heard that quote before he um, Mm -hmm. used it on my podcast, but I think it's really good because it kind of gives you pause because we can just be so busy being speech therapists. And if you have a family in your life, um, but I think just trying to take a deep breath and focus on the task that's right in front of you is important. I think that's great. Um, 
Last question. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you enter the pearly gates? <laughs> uh, welcome. Great to see you. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. Well, Rose, we we it's been great to see you on the podcast and to talk with you about ABA and to learn more about you and your practice. And please come back and, and join us again at some point in the future and give us an update. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really great to meet both of you and connect. Well, that was Rose Griffin. We want to thank Rose for joining us on the podcast. Go check her out at www.abaspeech.org or on Instagram at ABA Speech by Rose. And I know she has lots of uh, Instagram followers, so uh, that might be the best way to contact her or connect with her, but check out the website too. You can contact her through the website as well. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. As I mentioned last time, anytime you can leave a five-star review, that helps us attract new listeners. And anytime you can share this episode or the podcast with friends, neighbors, colleagues, co-workers, whoever you think would benefit. We would deeply appreciate that. So until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.